Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Whiskey Raiders podcast. I'm joined by John Henderson. We have a fat stack of whiskey to drink tonight, and we hear from Woodford Reserve's new master distiller. This is a great episode. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. A little tired. We have uh, quite the weekend here. Got covered up with snow again. Uh, every time you start to think that the winter is winding down, it just punches you again. We got <laughs> absolutely just covered. I'm just dummied. So much snow landing on us. And then, of course, immediately the next day, it's like 40 degrees. So then everything is wet and melty and just a, a real fucking mess. It's funny you mention that. I've been on the road a whole lot for whiskey business and otherwise. And it seems like it only snows when I leave home. So my wife has been dealing with snow, uh, quite frankly, left to right. But I've kind of gotten near misses except for Denver when I was out and just got caked in every direction. But interesting. Yeah, I mean... It's uh, it's warming up here. It's about fifty degrees. Like it, it really is in that phase where I don't know what the weather's gonna be on any given day. Like it might get colder, it might get warmer, but it, it's the uncomfortable in between between seasons. I would say. Yeah, we are. I mean, I would not expect us to be out of the woods yet. Usually, we've still got a, a couple of decent storms that could pop up anytime in March. Okay. And we, you know, we kind of, uh, I think actually the ski resorts in this area tend to view March as one of their snowiest months too. So I think there's still some meat on the bone here, but we'll make it through. And my, my ice rink is just an absolute fucking disaster right now. Like it seems like we cannot just get three weeks straight of the same type of weather. You know, if we get a day of snow, it's usually followed up by a few days being over 40 degrees and then everything freezes up because then it will drop down to like 10 below and everything that started to melt then freezes in a really uncomfortable and unuseful way. So it's just a, a real gong show up here. That makes sense. I mean, it is hard to be bourbon on ice when there is no ice, but thankfully tonight we have plenty of not bourbon, believe it or not. I mean, well, one, one of these could be considered a bourbon. It's a finished bourbon. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, tonight, John and I are tasting through Still Austin's Cast Strength Rye, as well as the new Bootleg, which is a $500 whiskey from Heaven's Door, before we hear from the new master distiller over at Woodford Reserve, Elizabeth McCall. But why don't we go ahead and get started with some rye? What do you say, John? Yeah, I'm already in there. Um, I think you said that this is the Cast Strength Rye. It's I don't believe it is Cast Strength, actually. Uh, it's, it's just a 99.6 proof. Uh, what's kind of cool about the stuff that Still Austin has been doing, if you followed along with any of our uh, YouTube content, you've seen that we've reviewed some of their other products, such as like the Cast Crank bourbon that you're probably uh, doing a little confusion there with, which is fine. Oh, no, you're totally right, because they released the bourbon and then the then barrel the proof bourbon. Yeah. Now we've gotten a taste of the rye. So I'm, I'm just looking towards the future. I'm sure we're going to get a barrel proof rye. But at 99.6 proof, this is certainly hopefully going to have plenty of character. It's certainly not at the legal minimum, 40%. Like So there, there's probably a good chance that while this isn't barrel-proof, it's, you know, uh, near, near 100 proof feels like a pretty good place to put stuff if you're a brand. Yeah, I'm with you. And also, I mean, everything that Still Austin has done thus far, especially for the age that they're releasing it at, has been really impressive to me. They're rolling out whiskey that, I mean, A, I have usually an issue with Texas whiskey in that I feel... Like it runs into this weird juxtaposition of being somehow over-oaked but under-aged at the same time, which is just a really bad combination. And it can really start to push a lot of stuff away into a territory where I don't dig it. 
And still Austin has been the opposite side of the coin, for lack of a better term, where using that slow water reduction method that they're doing, they are keeping their whiskey from getting too oak, too finished, too fast. And I believe that what they're doing with that and just probably careful, you know, maturation and selection of their barrels, they're making stuff that tastes really good. Even at young ages, like this is a two-year rye. And we're going to see what this is about. But so far, I have no complaints. It's incredible to me just how risky the Texas climate is. Like you spoke to, I completely agree. I think the best way to describe a lot of the Texas whiskey I've had is both it's too young, but also over-oaked. And and we see that a lot of times in other methodologies where people maybe are using like a 15 or 20-gallon barrel and it's too woody, but it's not mature enough. And, and I definitely see that still, Austin, their bourbon is really what kind of brought my eyes down to Texas Gee, I, I want to say it was like a year or two back by now. I know we got yeah. the barrel proof last year, but the year before, I feel like Still Austin came right as we were building the studio here. And man, that stuff is just really good. So I have to say, I've just had my first sips. I'm looking forward to a little bit more. But if if someone has the potential to nail a Texas whiskey, I feel like in my mind, it is Still Austin. So I am pumped to get into this one. Yeah, and they do a lot of cool stuff there with the brand too. They used to go some really crazy local art for their labels. They're using like Texas grown grains for their products. Like, you know, they're doing what I think is their best to be like sort of a down home feel good kind of brand. And which is great. And could be like this romantic notion that is easy to get excited about. But if the whiskey's not there, then it's kind of all for naught. And in this case, I think they've actually, they've stepped this up pretty nicely. This is a, a decent ride. I get like this cool kind of like, sweet and punchy rye vibe all like right up front uh, like almost like a little bit of like an apple pie kind of thing i mean it i wouldn't accuse this of being five or six years old it doesn't drink like a crazy mature expression but that at the same time i'm not gonna sit here and say like oh it's good for two years like it's better than that i have to say too i also would not uh, accuse this of being two years old which is kind of cool like this this has a depth and, and like a nice tannin structure. And I think a lot of that too, we've mentioned, you know, a lot of what else they're doing, but also Nancy Fraley is involved in their blending. And we know that she brings a lot to the table and slow water reduction is being used in other industries like the brandy industry for cognac. And, you know, instead of diluting all of your whiskey, when you go to bottle, you add a little bit to the barrel every single year. And that kind of helps, you know, smooth things out over time. But this has... You hit on it really interesting. This like reminds me of the tropical Mike and Ike candies. Like it's big and sweet and fruity, and there's some pineapple and mango and lemon and apple and pear, but it's got this big rice spice character with just a tiny bit of oak. And it's really interesting on the nose. Like it's really, I'm kind of into it. Yeah. I mean, there's like a touch of this. I don't want to say youth because it's not like you take a smell of this and it's like, oh man, this is like green and punchy and weird. It's- right. It's just like, it's really like kind of uh, vibrant and bright. There's a lot going on with it. And it's yeah, actually, it's pretty tasty. It's rambunctious and fun. It, it's not youthful in any way. Like sometimes I get like too young, you know, you get that really hot spirity feel yeah. that that is kind of almost estery where you're like, oh, like the fruit's not quite developed. Like this is really fruity, but in a fun way and in a way that feels complete. And I, I feel like we'll just get more oak and baking spice over the years, but this doesn't have like a big a big immediate flaw to me. It 
it it it's honestly really good. Like on the palate, holy cow! Yeah, I dig this. Uh, I could see this working well with something using like a a fruit style bitters, like an orange bitters or something. If you're going to make a cocktail and you use that to sort of uh, really make those fruit flavors just pop to another degree, I think you could have a lot of fun with this. It's definitely tasty as it is, though. It you know another thing about this where we said it was ninety nine point six. I feel like that to me, I I could easily forget the proof on this, which could, I think, have potential to get a little spicy. <laughs> I'm with you. I just went through my pour way faster than I intended, trying to kind of tease out more of that fruit flavor. But this this has a really nice body to it, really nice finish. Like the rye spice does come for you on the finish, which is nice. Like some rice attack you the moment it hits your palate. And if you're not ready for that, it's kind of off-putting, but well-developed. I don't know what cocktail to use this in. This might be like a go-to Sazerac for me. I, I don't know that I would put this in a Manhattan just because it would be at war with the other flavors, uh, you know, like the vermouth and the bitters right. and stuff because it is so like fun and aggressive in in a fruity and, and youthful and interesting way. But uh, this this would go great in a Sazerac where you have a lot of those brighter flavors, some of those more exotic flavors where it's less about the oak and being like a dark and brooding cocktail and more about just like, let's let's throw some fun out there. But this is really nice. Yeah, I'm with you. I like this one. I'm very excited to see where they go with this if the age statement comes up at all, which realistically, if it never did, I think they'd still be fine. This is like juicy fruit and spicy rye and uh, like a solid enough oak backbone to it that I'm not like begging for more age. I think overall, for me, this one's a thumbs up. And I think this brings forward a really interesting point in that a lot of whiskey makers are just assuming that the way they make whiskey in Kentucky is the way you have to make whiskey everywhere. And I think Still Austin have correctly identified that that is one way you can do it, like Balconis or Garrison Brothers or anything. But if you're going to make whiskey in a completely different climate, you need to have a different methodology. And I think the methodology they've picked, which is, you know, We'll bottle it when we think it's the right age. We're going to use slow water reduction. We're going to bring blending to the forefront because we need to be in control of that flavor profile. I think it's really working for them. This is the first Texas distillery where I'm like, man, these guys get it, and I just can't wait for more. Like there isn't more right. yet to try, but like, like these guys have a really strong handle on what it takes to be successful in making Texas whiskey, and that's kind of a big deal because there's a lot of Texas distilleries I will not say that about. Sure. I don't know as there's very many at all. And I, I think basically where I'm ready to leave this one is that Still Austin has my attention. When they release something, I'm here for it. I want to try it. Whatever that is, that next thing that they do, you know, count me in. I'm in line. I want to get a bottle of it. I want to try that out because they just haven't missed yet. Yeah, I'm 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 happy to leave it there. I think that this is as good a time as any to make about the most drastic segue I think we may ever have on this show. Uh, but hey, if we've got a Mainer's attention over on Texas, that's a good start. Let's go ahead and move to our second pour. Uh, we started in an interesting spot. I think we just moved straight into the weird. This is Heaven's Door Bootleg. I believe this is their fifth edition. It is an 11-year-old weeded bourbon but it's finished in Isla Scotch casks. And it's bottled at cast strength. It's at uh, 111 proof, if my math doesn't fail me. And it's a, going to be about $500 if you can find it at all. Now, it's interesting. We see bourbon finished all the time. We see weeded bourbon finished only occasionally. 
And I don't know of any other weeded bourbons finished in Isla Scotch. Isla is a region of Scotland. It comes from the Isle of Isla, and it usually features peated whiskey. So this should be an interesting, interesting flavor adventure. Uh, and what are your opinions on peated scotch, John? Generally speaking, I would rather throw up clamshells than drink peated <laughs> scotch. I kind of wondered. Okay. That's a gross generalization because there is some that I can tolerate, but I, that's what I'm doing is tolerating it. Okay. I find that a lot of that stuff, I, I don't believe hides behind the peat, but I think the peat in there hides a lot of the nuance for me being that I don't drink much of it. So I don't know my way around the peat side very well. And I find that standing out so harshly in contrast to what could otherwise be subtle or nuanced or fruity flavors that are in there makes it a little bit hard for me to dig out like things like uh, iodine and band-aids and freaking like barnacles. I'm, I'm right. just like not that into in my whiskey. No, that's fair. And I, I think it's always something to be wary of when someone gives you a flavor profile like diesel, but in a good way. You right. know, we don't really hear that. Like there'd be a great bumper sticker and be like, Oh, you know, when you list off a bunch of things that we would typically, you know, if you're like, hey, it smells like smoke and ash and like dead fish and iodine and band-aids, like typically those are turnoff notes for a lot of people. But if you're into the Isla Scotch segment, like that tells you that you're home. Like you've got like, oh yeah, this is Isla whiskey. That's awesome. That's exactly what I want. So it's weird to see it come in with a weeded bourbon because typically those are softer, sweeter. Those take on those finishes so much more aggressively. But I'm ready to get tasting. I've, I've got my first pour here. This is the first I've ever had of the Heaven's Door bootleg series. So I don't know if this is kind of the MO or if this is just something they decided to do. But 11-year weeded bourbon and Isla Scotch, let's dig in. Okay, so where normally I would have already been into the glass, I would have been nosing this the whole time <laughs> we were talking and sipping it any time you were speaking and I wasn't. Uh, this time... I am very much, uh, I'm not even into the glass right now, currently. I'm going to let you okay. dive in. I'll let you kind of like get your impressions. And I'll speak about the first time I tried this, which was in our last recording session in the studio. I was thinking that we were reviewing this one. I hadn't really looked at what I was pouring out. Oh, that's right. And I poured whatever it was, two <laughs> or three glasses. And I took a sip of this and I was like, huh, that seems a little bit strange. And then I remember asking you, hey, I don't remember what you said this was. Is this even bourbon? And you were like, oh, yeah, you might struggle with that one because <laughs> it is not bourbon the way that you were expecting. And I was like, yeah, no shit, homeboy. This is uh, this is weird. So now I will pick up the glass and I will get back to work here. But I just wanted to okay. share that the first time I had this was totally blind. I had no idea what I was getting into. And man, if there's a port, you should try blind. It was that one for yeah, sure. Exactly. Because I took one sip of it and I was just like, ah, that tastes like scotch to me, not like bourbon. What what have you sent me here? That's funny. I mean, yeah, picking this up on the nose, I am surprised this this leans very much in that weeded bourbon direction. I notice a little bit just a light ashiness, like a light plasticity. But on the palate, the the Isla really comes through. It's really difficult to tell. So on Isla, all you know, there's only eight or nine distilleries right now, and each of them kind of have a house style. 
And uh, blind tasting whiskey is really tough, but if there's a region that I can consistently nail, it is whiskeys from Isla. And it helps, there's a really small sample size and they all taste very different. But the, the weeded bourbon covers it up here to the point where I can't tell whose Isla Scotch cast this is, but to its credit, it's not super overpowering. It's like big butterscotchy waffle batter, kind of like sweet dessert on the nose. And then the Isla comes in, it adds more of like an ash and a burning wood kind of touch to it than it does those big maritime uh, briny dying flavors. But if you didn't know what this is, it'll totally throw you off because it's got this big char character on the back palate that I just don't think, you know, most bourbons, especially weeded bourbons, ever really have. So I can see if you don't know what this is and you didn't like deliberately go and buy this, it may throw you for a loop. Yeah, I'm certainly feeling a little loopy. Flavor-wise, it's actually, it. I mean, it's a little strange. It's not awful. That's really like probably as polite as I could get about it. It's not something that I would buy myself personally. It does have like a very like smoked wood, burning wood, ashy kind of vibe to it. And not in a totally off-putting way, but in like a very odd juxtaposition with the weeded bourbon in there. And like, so I could kind of see why some right. like in some mad scientist lab, the idea would come about like, why don't we marry these two things together? Because they don't do any of the same things at the same time. And creating right. the right type of waltz with those things could work. And, I mean, whether it does or not, I guess you would have to, I mean, realistically, you are the exact type of person to say, is this the answer or not? As somebody who loves We Do Bourbon as much as you do, Right. And Isla, Scott, uh, Isla Scotch as much as you do, it seems to me like if anybody in the world is going to like this, he's looking at me right now. <laughs> I think it's, you know, people are going to ask all day long, like, is this worth the money? And, I, and I'm going to say in 99% of cases, this is not a buy for folks. Like th there are releases that you and I have and we're like, hey, we don't. Like, you know, we, we don't view ourselves as big pillars, but like, if you want to blind buy something that's amazing, go buy this. We know that you will love it. And if you don't love it, send it to us and we'll pay you for it because we love it. And right. this, this product is not that product. This is for a conscious consumer. You have to know that you like weeded bourbon and you have to know that you like Isla Scotch. And, and most importantly, probably you have to have like $500 and be okay with a $500 experiment. And I think... Right. That's really important because there really is no answering, is this worth it? Like this is as experimental as you get in a lot of different ways. And it's really important to know that if you buy this, it's because you know exactly what it is and it interests you enough to separate you from those dollars. So no, you should not go blind buying this. Yes, you should find it at a bar and try it. I think it's interesting. Like it's not bad. It's not flawed. It's a really cool concept. But overall, I mean... $500 is so much a blend of Wild Turkey, Wilderness Trail, Barrel Craft Spirits, all of Bernheim, all the things we usually recommend. So you have to know that this product is for you. And if you, at the first moment we said it's a weeded bourbon finish in Iowa Scotch, you're like, oh, damn, I want that. Like, go buy it. But everyone else, try this at a bar. This is, it, it's good. It's really interesting. But man, you have to love both of those things a lot. Yeah, it is totally interesting. And it's not bad. It's De I probably undersold the product itself in my uh, my impressions of it. But most of that, it just comes from if I'm going to be drinking something that has like this big, wild, earthy, smoky character to it, I would prefer it to be Mezcal. 
That's fair. And and what's odd about that is I think the real difference is just the the peat. Like on the mezcal side, I am usually like right into all of the like give me the craziest shit, the weirdest shit. But when it comes to scotch, I'm like, ah, like if I'm gonna spend five hundred bucks on the bottle, maybe we just go and get a bottle of scotch that costs five hundred bucks and we have a better time of it that way. It's kind of where I stand. Right. And and I think it's really hard because unless this specific idea excites you, there's $500 American whiskey I'd say you should go buy. Like the right. barrel gold label is really, frankly, just awesome. And if you are if you ask us, hey, how should I go spend 500 bucks and one bottle is fine, like it, it means you're okay in that price bracket. And, and same goes for the scotch world. Like, hey, I got 500 bucks to blow. Give me an incredible scotch. Like We can get that done all day long and twice on Sundays. But hey, I want an American whiskey finished in scotch and I got 500 bucks. Like the overlap in those Venn diagrams is so extremely tiny that, you know, you got to try it first, at least in my opinion. I'm with you. I could definitely make different use of 500 bucks and eke out a lot of, I mean, I've bought numerous Boss Hog from Whistlepig for, for 500 bucks. And those, even on the ones that were lower scoring for me, I'm still like, I don't mind buying it because I feel like I get the value that I want from it. I would have a harder time with this one. But again, I'm not the Scotch guy. That gold label dovetail that was just like, this is so different, but such a flavor explosion. Like, oh shit, yeah. You know, it's weird to talk about it at length, but this is good whiskey. I don't think it's flawed. I love what the the Isle is bringing to it. I love what the weeded bourbon is bringing to it. But if your ears didn't immediately perk up, this is one to try. And I think that that's kind of the right place to leave yep. it. I'm good um, with that. You know, it, it's weird. It's cool. And honestly, like a company that's going to take a risk like that, like what gigantic brass balls it took to be like, okay, so our one LTO of the year, let's make it something that 99% of people probably will not pick up. Yeah, you definitely have to respect that type of hustle. Well, all right. I mean, I think that that's a perfect place to leave it on the Heaven's Door bootleg. And finally, for our final segment of tonight, we have a uh, some pretty big news coming out of Woodford Reserve. Uh, Chris Morris, who's a good friend of ours, he's been on the show before. He's one of our favorite interviews. Has given up the title of Master Distiller, moving to Master Distiller Emeritus. And he's given up his position to uh, kind of his understudy, his assistant, the person who's been training for years now, Elizabeth McCall, Uh, Which honestly, I mean, that is a big move and that's super pumped. Like I'm pumped for Elizabeth who is, I don't want to say outside of the limelight, but has been at Woodford for a long time, has been doing a lot of the releases already. And now it's her day to move into Masters Stiller, which I think is pretty cool. It's very cool. There's been a lot of movement lately in the whiskey industry. And I say lately as in the last year to year and a half or so, a lot of folks leaving fairly notable positions, very notable positions and seeing something like this where it they get to use this as a opportunity to promote somebody from within i think is great to see the internal wheels kind of keep spinning is awesome as opposed to we have brands like makers and others that have been losing folks that in these high positions that you know you would think are very very coveted positions to kind of strike off on their own and either chase passion projects or a new dream of their own or something. And this to me is, I think, sort of a little bit more of a natural 
progression. So I'm excited to see how this evolves for Woodford and where Elizabeth takes this, the products and the brands and whatnot. Absolutely. And I'm very thankful to say that uh, Elizabeth, right after the transition, went ahead and took a few minutes to talk to us. We asked a couple questions and she had some great answers. So let's go ahead and move to that interview right now. Thanks for taking the time uh, once again. And congratulations uh, on your new role. Are you, I, you have to be pretty pumped, I'm sure, right? I am pumped and it's still sinking in, you know, like what it all means. And it really is like, it's stuff where people are not asking me and they're not going to Chris first. And that's an adjustment. I'm always like, wait, shouldn't we ask Chris? And I'm like, oh, it's, <laughs> I'm the person now. <laughs> it's, it's like fun until something breaks and you're like, oh, he's he's not. Okay, that's funny. Well, thank you again for joining me. In, in the press release, we're told that you know, you're know you going to be uh, leading uh, the new Masters Collection, the Distillery Series, and you're bringing your unique touch point of view. And I'm curious, how does your point of view uh, compare, you know, just in general to the industry? And, and what do you think is unique about the way that you approach whiskey? Well, I'll start with the way that I'll be unique compared to Chris Morris, because he's been the one, I mean, he's been the only one. Um, and I think Chris leans so much on history and draws a lot from, from that. And he's so passionate about history. Um, and I'm passionate about it too, but not to the extent, I mean, he's a walking encyclopedia and he's brilliant. Um, and I, I like to draw from history, but then see how I can take that as inspiration for a modern twist. And, um, a lot of my focus, I think going into master's collections and distillery series will be leaning on our local agriculture and sustainability. Um, and so looking to Kentucky to kind of, uh, for inspiration and, so it's like going back to history, but then with a modern kind of take on it from the sustainability sense, because it's like, well, we grew these grains in Kentucky hundreds of years ago, but um, we don't do that anymore. Why don't we do that? And how do we bring those back? So like a big project I'm working on is rye. So rye grain doesn't grow well on a large scale in Kentucky just because our climate is humid and, and not conducive to it. So, um, so that's a really fun project. And what I've enjoyed about that is learning the farmer perspective, because we are a very agricultural product. Um, and I don't, I never really thought of us in that headspace um, until I started working with farmers and uh, really just starting to explore that. So that's been a lot of fun and just learning about planting and seasonality of, of grains and how crop rotation and, and all of it. And then just how impactful rye uh, is to the overall um, health of your field, soil health, water health, all that at your at the farms. Oh, that's fascinating. And, and kudos to you. You read my mind because the next question I was going to ask was, are you going to be doing anything differently, you know, with the master's collection uh, than maybe Chris has been doing before? But I like that. I, and I, I have a follow-up there. I'm curious, the, the proof outside of, of the batch proof and some of the higher proof offerings has always been 90.4. Do you, do you plan to experiment with that as well? Or are you going to keep that identity of the Woodford portfolio? Yeah. Um, I plan to keep it at 90.4, especially for the core of our products. Um, and that's just because that's kind of the, the heart and soul of Woodford itself and how you get the flavors that are presented. Um, but then outside of that, you know, exploring different proofs would be fun um, because it is such a trendy space right now. Um, but it, 
what's interesting being on a brand like Woodford Reserve, it's a massive brand and there's a lot of opinions about it. So just because I may think something's great, we still have to get the greater team on board with that. So um, it's, it's one of those things where I can present this and I'll do my best to be like, this is what we should do. And um, hopefully we can get people on board. <laughs> I like it. I, I, I asked Chris about it a while back and he had a really succinct answer that I liked. And he was like, well, we want people to be able to compare all the expressions. And if they're wildly different proofs, it's another variable. And I thought, oh, okay. You know, that's an interesting perspective, but I wasn't sure if that would change. Um, to, to switch gears a little bit, clear just in general that whiskey folks think that the the role of master distiller is pretty much fun in games, right? Like you're at the top of the ladder, you can do whatever you want. There's nothing that could possibly be unfun about the job. But I'm curious, like, what's one mundane aspect of the day job of master distiller that folks may not understand? And also, what is secretly uh, the thing that you're looking forward to most about the new role? Okay, this is going to be funny, because um, actually, we were at a Order of the Writ uh, dinner, and it was myself, Chris Morris, and then Brent Elliott with Four Roses. <laughs> we're sitting there, and we were just talking about, like, our jobs. And so this is going to be one of those, like the really, really mundane things we have to do is like, um, expense reports Okay. when we travel. <laughs> Cause Brett was like, I hate doing that. And I was like, me too. And people don't realize we have to do all these administrative things. It's not just like, Oh, I get to go to the distillery and drill into some barrels and taste them and put batches together. And like, Oh, this will be the next release. Like there's all that boring stuff that we still have to do. Like we still are real regular employees at these, at these beautiful companies we work for. So, I mean, that's like, I mean, that's probably not the answer you were looking for, but no, that's one it. of the things. <laughs> I just finished like, an expense report myself and was like, God, why don't I have someone to do this for me? So that, that, <laughs> that rings true to home. Yeah. We all have to do that. Um, but then uh, the other one, so was there, that, um, what am I looking forward to or just something that's, yeah, or what's secretly your favorite part of the job? I know obviously drinking whiskey all day is pretty cool, but but what's something that, that folks may not expect is kind of a cool aspect of the job? I love getting into the nuts and bolts of production. Um, I think and in, in doing process improvement and quality improvement. And so I I'm a very I think because I have ADD, it's like I am most productive and functional when I've got things down in a process and a method and I stick to that routine. And so I love to find efficiencies in how we all work together. So, I mean, we I had a meeting the other day with our bottling planning person and I was like, Melissa, like, let's just talk. How do you prioritize what we bottle on our bottling line? Like I, that is completely foreign to me because it's always been like, Okay, and it's gonna we're gonna run a bunch of dub bourbon, then we're gonna go into double oaked. And she was and so prioritizing that because I wanna know from planning from a master's collection, like if I wanna have something a finish and I know it's probably gonna be either six to nine month finish, I gotta know, well, how am I gonna make sure that this gets on the bottling schedule so that I can get that right? And, um, and with Woodford's production so tight, we have to make sure that I mean, we have a very small bottling line. So it's like, how do we do that? And I love getting into the nuts and bolts of that and talking with the people who are doing it every day and like figuring out, well, how can we do that better? And let's work together on this. So that's, that's my true, I love it. I get really excited about that stuff. <laughs> oh, that's cool. From, from one ADD driven person to another, that's, that's fun to hear. And, and 
Yeah, I feel like the nuts and bolts of distilleries, like people obviously love to see the still and stuff, but I do think that the the innovations between bottling and labeling have come so far. And it's interesting to see what, you know, folks are employing kind of under the hood mm-hmm. at each individual distillery. I'm curious, are you guys going to have any changes to the private select? Is that program going to stay kind of the same for the foreseeable future? And that's a selfish question. No, so... I feel like this is one of those areas where I have a lot of opinions on personal selection and we are revamping right now. And I have hopes for things that I, I don't want to put it out there publicly because um, like in a recording situation, because I know my boss would be like, we never agreed to that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I have a lot of really cool things that I want to do with that. And I think, we're going to get there. Um, and, and cause that program is a really cool program. And, um, you know, there's not many opportunities where it's not a single barrel, you know, people think, Oh, well, I want a single barrel of Woodford. It's not a single barrel. It's actually the world's smallest batch of two barrels and, um, and how kind of you create something out of this two barrel batch that never would have existed had you not put those two barrels together which I think is very fascinating. Um, and so I do have plans to talk about proof with that. So playing in that space a little bit. So we can talk about like, would Woodford ever not be at 90.4? All those are presented at 90.4 currently. Right. So could we do something? And I would love to do something, but I'm not going to give too much away. Okay. Get in trouble. No, no, I, <laughs> we would hate to get you in trouble. We'll, we'll, we'll take that for a follow-up. Um, and, and final question for you again, congrats on the new role. And thank you for spending some time with me. Uh, I always just like to ask folks, was Woodford your first whiskey? And and if it wasn't, what is the whiskey that got you into whiskey? Yeah, my first whiskey on the rocks that I was like, I can drink this just the way that it's presented was Woodford double oaked. And I love double oaked to this day. Um, It's such a, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful whiskey. And it's so friendly. Um, So I'm, I'm, that was my first, but like, because everything before that, and this is so embarrassing to say, but like we all started somewhere. Um, you know, I was a broke college student, so I was probably drinking cheap beer. And then, you know, I mean, really embarrassing to say vodka sodas. Okay. I mean, that was like, I was like a vodka soda like that. It was like early 2000s. Right. I was drinking vodka, so, but vodka was like all the rage at that time. And I honestly didn't know how to drink brown spirits. So like... I remember going to a football game with my older brother and and they were drinking some crappy whiskey. I don't even know what it was and putting it with Sprite. And I was like, what are you doing? I was like clear with Brown. That doesn't make sense. Um, I was like whiskey and Coke, like makes sense, but I never was like a whiskey and Coke drinker. So cocktails and then double oaked meat. And then I kind of just, got into cocktails and then you just are like, it's just so good on its own. Like I'm just drinking it. I just, that's how I like to drink it. But if I go out, I have somebody, um, um, make me a cocktail, but yeah, it was kind of an evolution. And, and, um, I'm happy to see that people are stepping into this category now, like in a much more classy way, right. probably than, you know, I did. Um, but it's there. The opportunities are there. There's so much more education around it as opposed to when I got into it, I had to educate myself on, so much of like, how do I drink this stuff? So, um, and yeah, nice. I like it. It's yeah. And now I'm like, when people are drinking their, like I have so many friends and they're drinking their wine, which wine is great. I love wine. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, talking about just, I'm like the health 
there's not health benefits to drinking whiskey. I won't say that, but it's not like, but whiskey just on ice, you get all the flavor and it's not all the carbs and all the other stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, mean, when you think about it from that perspective, yeah, it could be worse. Or like I have friends who are like, Oh, bourbon gives me a hangover. And I'm like, no, it's probably the 30 ounces of regular Coca-Cola that that may have been involved. You know, it could be the whiskey too, but yeah, but also when you're mixing with all that stuff, that that will hurt. So yeah, yeah. I mean, my story is like kind of. In, it's just I wasn't like it, you know, double oaked was it, and I was in Canada of all places, which is really random. But I'm impressed they I, had double oaked in Canada. I know, me too, and that's why I'm like, does that timeline fit? But it was like 2013, <laughs> so I mean. <laughs> I like question my memory sometimes, but no, because I remember it was double oaked and, and my colleague, he got it with a squeeze of lemon in there. And it was, and I was like, that looks so good. I want to huh. do that. I'll have to try I that. Did. I've never, yeah. never rocked a double oak and lemon. I know, but there's so many citrus notes. Ugh, it's superb. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again uh, for joining me. Thanks for taking the time and congratulations on the new role. We'll definitely follow up uh, maybe when some, some new changes roll out or with the new master's collection, but thank you again. Oh, thank you. Yeah, take care. And thanks again to Elizabeth McCall for taking the time to sit down, answer some questions and really get to share inside perspective from the Woodford side of things for all of the whiskey lovers out here who get to listen into this. Yeah. Great time. So I think this would be a good time to sort of set up the next few episodes and share with the listeners here what we're going to be getting into, at least tasting wise, because we don't want to try to, you know, lean into predictions or say like what we think is coming down the road. We'll talk right. about news as it comes up. We'll talk about fun things as that as they, <laughs> you know, rear their heads. But in terms of the liquid itself, I feel like there's a little bit we can kind of tease out here to get people ready for what's coming. What do you think? For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. People always ask us like, hey, if I drop you some mail in the form of like a question or a topic or something, would you hit on it and on air? And we always say, yeah, of course. You know, if there's a great topic, we'd love it. But we never talk about like what's in our actual mailbag, like the mail that's right. coming in. And we know a couple of things have just landed uh, and we've got some stuff on the way in time for the next episode or two. So let's hit hit on it right away. Yeah, so if um, more limited edition whiskey was on your bingo card, you are in luck. <laughs> uh, the newest Whistlepig 21-year single malt called the Beholden is Damn. en route now, and we will be discussing that one very soon, most likely in next week's episode, but I don't want to make any promises. We right. are looking into uh, some new stuff from Barrel Bourbon, who we're very fortunate. We've got a great partnership with them. They are always sending us the what they're doing and i'm really excited to talk about batch 34 there's i think going to be a good chin wag on that topic what else is coming down the line here it's always interesting because we cover the antique collection announcements but because buffalo trace only sends those to like three people uh, we don't actually get to try them before they come out so it's on us to go ahead and figure them out so we will be going over the new thomas handy rye that's their barrel proof rye expression uh, and, and maybe one or two others in future episodes, but the Thomas Handy for sure is landing uh, as soon, which I'm pumped about. And all three of these are, are kind of super diverse. I mean, the Whistle Pig is a 21-year-old North American single malt, which is something that doesn't really exist. And obviously, it has to, but we we got to figure out where it comes from. So that's it's kind of its own, you know, 
Enigma. Yeah, that's going to make its own gravy. And, and gosh, like who knows what that's going to taste like. And it comes in a big old box. It's always a good time. Barrel bourbon, you know, these guys churn out batches all the time. They're always really interesting. You and I did a great episode on batch 32 versus 33, and both of those were phenomenal. So hopefully that can keep up the magic. And I feel like Antique Collection speaks for itself. It's the rarest of the rare of the Buffalo right. Trace products that aren't Van Winkle. Thomas Handy's my personal favorite expression. I, I'll i be straight with you. I saw a good deal, and I could not pass it up, so I plunked down some smackaroos to bring that Thomas Handy bottle home. And I'm looking forward to drinking all of them on the pod. They're, they should all be a good time and hopefully some amazing conversation. Especially if you're going to keep using words like smackaroos. We are going to be having a good talk. Did I age out of saying smackaroos or am I like too young to say smackaroos? I'm not sure if I've ever aged into it. So <laughs> either yes or no, but both funny and both good. Rock on, guys. Well, uh, thank you again for joining us tonight. If you're looking for more from John, you can find him at thebourbonfinder.com as well as the Bourbon Finder on Instagram. And as always, guys, I am Take, better known as Jay from whiskeyraiders.com. If you have a friend that would uh, love a good whiskey podcast, we'd urge you to share it with them. We always love finding new folks uh, to, to talk to and to listen to and to, to receive emails from. So go ahead and share that as well. And we will catch you here on the next episode. We've already told you we've got some crazy whiskey coming and we'll see what news comes along as well. So we will see you in the next episode of the Whiskey Readers podcast. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.